There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. Greg, here we are again. We are indeed. Yeah, lots has been going on, Greg, before we get into the episode. Did you notice that the Prime Minister of the UK just stepped down? I did notice that. That's kind of interesting because we just did an episode on monetary policy. It was uh, the UK's version of fiscal policy changes that led to the demise of the UK Prime Minister after only six weeks in office. Shortest serving Prime Minister in British history, apparently. Yeah, it didn't work out that well. When the rest of the world is trying to tighten the money supply and then they go and try to expand the money supply, didn't work out that well for them, right? No, that one bit them. What are the UK bonds called? Gilts? Gilts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of jokes you can say about that, (laughs) right? right. They're feeling guilty. Right on. Greg, I just got back from Toronto, as you know. I got to tell you about one thing that happened on my way back. I was at a conference and I was flying back and I got on a Dreamliner 787. Nice. It was a beautiful plane. Yep. Beautiful. The seats were nice. The screens were nice. Everything was nice about it. Yep. Except that in the back of my head, I kept thinking, are we going to make it? Yeah, you don't want to think that way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That can harsh your mellow while you're trying to relax on the way back from a conference. Well, I figured we were safe after takeoff in a few minutes because it seems like that's when those planes had some problems before. But it seems like they worked out the bugs. Yep. That's a good thing. Yeah, you're here. Yeah. So it all worked out. So as I say, last week we talked about monetary policy and the role of central banks to which the UK really messed up. But central banks are front and center in the news these days as everybody has been hiking rates. Yep. And it's all been done to tighten the money supply to try to cool this inflationary period without causing a deep recession. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Some are calling for a soft landing. Some are calling for something more harsh, right? Yep. But today we want to look at something different, a different area of the securities markets that has previously been used primarily by institutional investors and traders, but it is available to retail investors and is used by millions of less experienced online traders and day traders. And today we're talking about options. Options, right on. Yeah. Options are probably, I want to say, one of the more misunderstood investment vehicles out there. Yeah. It's not as clear as like buying a stock or buying a bond or selling a stock or selling a bond, right? Right. So in the U.S., there are around 39 million options contracts that have changed hands on an average day just in the last year, right? Yeah. Up 35% from the previous year. So this is the highest level ever, according to Options Clearing Corp. And that data is as of the end of November. So what does this tell us? That there's more people out there that are trying to be more active in an area that is less well understood. Exactly. That sounds scary. It does sound scary. So gaining approval to buy and sell options has come from some places like Robinhood, which kind of made it easier for people to do that. And there's all kinds of horror stories out there of those people doing that, right? Right. 
not necessarily knowing what they kind of signed up for. And it's led to some people looking for some reform from U.S. regulators. And as we talk through this, people will understand why options might be considered a good thing to do by a lot of smaller individual traders, because you have to spend less money Mm -hmm. for still a particularly potentially big gain. Potentially. Yep. Like the expected return of the Los Angeles Dodgers winning the World Series didn't work out that well, Greg. Exactly. We won't get into that today. Okay, so what are options? At their most basic level, an option is a contract which allows you to buy or sell an investment such as a stock or an exchange-traded fund or other assets. Yep. And each contract includes a pre-negotiated price and an expiration date, which specifies how long the price is valid, right? Yep. So I believe they call that the strike price. Exactly. Options, they are derivatives, which anytime I hear the word derivatives, my spidey sense starts to tingle. It sounds scary. Yeah. They belong to the larger group of securities known as derivatives, and derivatives price is dependent on or derived from the price of something else. So not super clear, right? Right. There are derivatives of financial securities. Their value depends on the price of some other asset. So an example of derivatives include calls, puts, futures, forwards, swaps, mortgage-backed securities, and others. And these derivatives, they end up creating their own vocabulary, their own language. And so the average person on the street will not understand what the heck anyone's talking about when they talk about futures or forwards or swaps. So what we want to do today is try to just simplify things, take a very basic approach to explain what all these things mean. And we only have 20, 25 minutes, so there's no way we're going to get into the depths of this. This is just an options 101. So a few key words to understand in regards to an option contract would be premium, strike price, and expiration, right? Yep. So premium is the price at which you can buy or sell an options contract. Strike price is the pre-negotiated price of the security if it's bought or sold according to the option contract. And expiration, well, that one's pretty straightforward. It's like, well, when does it expire? When is the contract up? So instead of directly buying a security like a stock, the options contract gives you the opportunity to buy or sell shares in that company or to sell it to another investor, right? Exactly. And as the holder, when you buy an options contract, you have the right to do something in the future. You might have a right to buy shares of CIBC at some price in the future by a particular date, but you don't have any obligation to do that. So when you hold an option contract, you have a right, but not an obligation. As the buyer. As the buyer, exactly. That's right. You're not required to do anything. You could let that contract expire without having any additional financial obligation, right? Exactly. So usually an options contract is good for 100 shares. Yep. Uh, Though you can have more than one if you want to trade higher volumes. That's one contract for 100 shares. Is that right? Exactly. So if you had 10 options in place, that's like 1,000 shares. Exactly. Pretty simple math. See how we did that? 10 times 100, 1,000. Yeah, pretty good. But they can be powerful because they can enhance an individual's portfolio, as you say, without taking on the risk of maybe participating at the same level as share ownership. Yeah. They're good for speculation. Now, are we recommending that people speculate? Absolutely not. But if you do want to, you could use options as a way of having a kind of a leveraged speculative strategy, right? Exactly. And I think that's what, you know, when we talk about what happened with Robin Hood investors and 
I'll go through some number examples so people will get the sense for, okay, well, how much do you have to spend to get exposure to a certain number of shares of an underlying company? Well, let's get into it. So what is options trading, Greg? I mean, options trading is exactly what it sounds like. You're trading options. And so because options have prices, you can trade them the same way you might trade stocks or bonds when you're buying or selling. You can trade those options contracts. And the difference is buying options, as we said a moment ago, it doesn't give you any ownership in the company, the underlying company that you're buying the options on, because you haven't actually purchased any shares. But what you have purchased in your contract is your choice to buy the shares later, meaning you've got the potential for ownership of an underlying security or stock at some point in the future. When it comes to options trading, there's lots of flexibility in the investment because you can trade options on ETFs, like individual stocks, but also you can buy or sell options on ETFs, commodities, and stock indexes. So that gives you a lot of flexibility in what you might want to do. And prices of those options fluctuate. And if you think you can predict stock prices going up or down, then maybe you might believe you could predict the price of options going up and down in the same way. And then you can buy or sell your options to increase your profits or lower your risk of loss. If you've bought options on an underlying stock and the options go up in value before they expire, you can choose just to sell the options. You don't have to wait and buy the underlying uh, security. So when we talk about trading options, we can really talk about two basic types that we just want to talk about today. There's uh, what we call a call option or a put option. Okay, and that depends on whether you want to buy or sell. Mm -hmm. Let's start with a call option. If you have a call option, you have the right, but not the obligation, to buy shares of the underlying security at the strike price before the expiration date. So give an example here. So let's say we're talking about CIBC shares. Are we recommending that people buy CIBC shares, Colin? Not necessarily. I mean, maybe if it fits into your portfolio, but no. And I'm just talking about CIBC shares because it's just an easy example. And we're using that example because that's where we work. So let's say you have a CIBC shares today are trading at roughly $59 a share. And let's say you believe that these shares will be worth $68. I'm going to use the same example a little bit later on. But so if you think that shares are going to be worth more in the future, you can buy a call option. So you could buy an ability by owning a $59 call option, which just gives you the right to buy CIBC shares at $59 up to some point in the future. So let's say six months. So let's say if you think the shares of CIBC will go up in six months, you can buy a call option. But instead of having to pay the whole $59 a share, today you could just buy an option and it might cost you 3 or $4 a share. Right. So that gives you, if you have a call option, you have the right, but not the obligation to buy CIBC shares at $59 before they expire six months from now. So why would somebody choose to buy the call option at $59 if they expect the stock to go to $68 in your example? Why wouldn't they just buy the stock? Because of the cost. So, I mean, if you bought 100 shares of CIBC today, it would cost you $5,900. If you buy one call option worth 100 shares today, it would cost you maybe $4 per share or $400 for one call option. So instead of investing $5,900, you only have to invest $400. When we go through the um, price examples, I'll show you how the return on that then could be a lot higher. Okay, now remember when you 
exercise a call option. So let's say the shares do go up and you choose that, okay, well, I'm going to buy those now. My strike price is $59. The stock's trading at $68. That's a good deal. I'm going to exercise my option to buy those shares and buy 5,900 shares. Somebody on the other side of that options trade has an obligation to sell you their shares, their CIBC shares at $59. So is the writer of the call option. That's right. So we're talking about owning or buying call options, but on the other side of that, there's somebody who actually sold you or sold that call option. And it's their obligation to sell the shares if those shares are exercised by the call holder. So call option gives you the opportunity to buy. A put option means you have the right, but again, not the obligation, to sell shares at a strike price by the expiration date. And if you exercise your put option, the shares must be sold and you'll collect the strike price for each, basically. And so what that means is if you believe that the price of something will actually go down, take, for example, a couple of years ago when all of the high-flying tech stocks were doing extremely well and hitting all-time highs, if you actually believed that they were definitely going to go down, if that was your belief, you could buy a put option on pick a stock, uh, let's call it Amazon, and that would give you the right to sell Amazon shares at $2,000 a share. I have no idea if that's a good number, but let's say you had the right to sell at $2,000 a share. If Amazon shares went down to $1,000, then you could make quite a bit of money because you would be selling the shares at $2,000 and theoretically buying them back at $1,000, you'd make $1,000 a share. So what put option gives you the right to sell a share at a prescribed price at a future point, the expiration date, call option, the right to buy. The put option is, as it's been described to me, is also a form of protection, protection for your portfolio. Exactly right. So what some people could do, and we're jumping ahead, but why not? Because we're talking about it. So let's say you own 100 shares of a particular company, let's say CIBC shares, and they've gone up in value to a point where you think, gee, you know, I'd, I'd like them to go up further, but I don't want to lose too much money if they go down a lot. So let's say the shares are trading at $59. You could buy a put option, let's say at, what, $57 strike price? at some point in the future. And so if all of a sudden the CIBC shares really tanked and went down to 50, well, you're holding an option which gives you the right to sell your shares at $57. So you're actually protecting. Or you could actually buy a put option to sell the shares at $60. Mm -hmm. That would cost you a little bit more, but it gives you protection. It gives you the insurance against your shares that you already hold going down dramatically. And to be honest, we don't trade options, really, because we don't believe that most individual investors need to. But for people that do trade put options, there are some risks that we can just highlight as we go forward. Well, it's just another version of market timing to some degree. Well, sure it is. It's a belief that the market is going to behave in a certain way and investing money or speculating on that happening and investing money with the hope that you're right. The big difference, of course, is buying and selling options or buying options in particular is that they could expire worthless. So even though you haven't invested as much money as you would have if you bought the original stock, the option could expire worthless and you're left with nothing. Right. As we said, you know, when you're buying or selling options, you're paying a premium. When you buy an options contract and when you sell an options contract, you earn a premium. And generally, because the price of the premium is a relatively small of money, you can choose to buy or have the ability to buy a larger number of shares with a smaller investment. 
Again, similar in practice to how you'd buy a, a stock, but again, you're paying a premium basically for the ability to buy or sell in the future. I find options to be one of the more confusing things to understand for myself even. Because as you say, you've got a call option writer and a call option purchaser, which are on the opposite sides of the trade. Mm-hmm. A put option writer, a put option purchaser. So the call option writer has the obligation to sell. The call option holder has the right to buy. Exactly. Right? Yeah. The put option writer has the obligation to buy, and the put option holder has the right to sell. That's right. There's two sides to every option transaction, and depending on whether you own the option, the holder or the writer, you have either the right but not the obligation to do something, buy or sell, and on the other side, they have an obligation to either sell or buy, depending on the nature of that contract. Well, here's where it gets really confusing for me, is that you'll have some people that will use straddles or spreads, option spreads. So option spread strategy would have be on the same security, but with different strike prices, right? That's right. So you're kind of trying to limit your downside, maybe? That's right. And without getting into a lot of details, but there are multiple option strategies, or there are combinations, essentially, of options that allow you to try to create a risk-reward scenario, which might help you if you're wrong in a particular option strategy. As I said, there's a whole vocabulary around options and these combinations, which you've mentioned, spreads, straddles, and strangles. And callers. And callers. And one of the interesting things, because we've been talking about in the easiest and most simple form, you know, you buy a call, which gives you the right to buy a stock at a certain price in the future, or you buy a put, which gives you the right to sell a particular stock at a particular price in the future. And so each of those is based on your guess, well, I'll say guess, because I don't think anybody knows for sure, your guess that a stock will either go up or go down in price in the future. Now, a straddle, if you have no idea, you think, okay, there's something is going to happen to this stock. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be at the same level in three months. Something dramatic is going to happen to it. It's either going to go up or it's going to go down, but I'm not sure which one. What people would do is they do what's called a straddle, Mm -hmm. where they buy a call option on that particular stock and they buy a put option on that particular stock. And so you're betting that the stock will go up or down. And you hope that when it shows you its hand, it either goes up or down, that the money you make on the one side of the trade that's correct more than offsets the money that you spent on the other side of the trade. And so again, it's uh, lots of combinations of option strategies or option, you know, puts and calls to try to predict and benefit from market movements. What about, why do people even write call options or put options? So let's talk about writing a call option. So let's say if you write a call option, it means you have the obligation to sell a stock because the holder, the buyer of that option has the right to buy that same stock. So let's say we're talking about CIBC shares and why somebody might write a call option on CIBC shares is let's say they already own CIBC shares. Okay, and let's say the shares are trading today at $59. Well, they might again say, well, I like holding CIBC shares. 
And I don't think CIBC shares are going to do much in the future, but I wouldn't mind getting a little extra income from CIBC shares. And so if the shares are trading at $59, the owner of those shares might say, well, I'm going to write a call option on CIBC shares at $64. They'll earn a premium for that because they're selling a call option contract. So they earn a premium for doing that. That gives them income. Now, if by the time the expiry date comes along, if CIBC shares have not reached $64, then the options will expire worthless, which means whoever bought those options has nothing, but you sold the option. And so you've earned a premium on top of still being able to hold the shares. And that's what's called a covered call strategy. It just means that I might be obligated to sell shares, but I already own the shares. And so it's no big deal if I have to sell them. And in the meantime, they've gone up in value and I collected some income in the form of that premium. So that's why people might sell call options. Or write call options. Or write call options. Writing and selling, that's right, the same thing. So, so they might write call options because they want some extra income. And if they did get called away, meaning they had to sell their shares, they're pretty happy anyway because the price has gone up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The reason why somebody might write put options, which again, if you write a put option, you have an obligation to buy the shares because the holder of the put option on the other side has the right to sell theirs. And so you have to buy them. Some people will say, you know what? I think this is a good company. And if I had to buy it for $35 in the future, I'd be okay with that. And in the meantime, by writing a put option at $35 a share, I'm going to earn some money. I'm going to earn the premium because somebody else who buys that put option is going to pay the premium for that. You might write a put option because you think the price will go up in the future and you would not be unhappy buying the shares at that price. I'm curious, anybody listening right now, if they're following along still to that? (laughs) (laughs) So I'll tell you what. So let's keep it simple. Okay. Yeah. And this is going to be possibly my only example. So let's say, as we talked about using our CIBC example, Shares are trading at $59, but you know, they've traded as high as $68 in the last few months. So you might have the view that CIBC shares are going to recover back to that level in the next six months. So you've got two choices. You can either buy 100 shares of CIBC at the current price, which is $59, so that would cost you $5,900, or you could buy one call option at a strike price of $59 with an expiry date of six months, let's say April of next year. This option would cost you, let's say, $4 a share. Mm -hmm. So you bought one call option, which is good for 100 shares at $4 a share. So you've just spent $400, Mm -hmm. not $5,900, which would cost you to own the 100 shares. So let's say the stock does go back up. You're right. You've nailed it. And the stock goes to $68 in six months. If you bought the shares outright, then your $5,900 that you spent would be worth $6,800 for a gain of $900 or 15% on your initial investment. However, if you bought the option, it would be worth $680, right? $68 a share times 100 shares. So $6.80, I should say. Uh, $680, which means you gained $280 on an investment of $400. So you've made 70% on your money. Mm -hmm. So you can see an option gives you leverage The same increase in the underlying stock price gave a 15% gain to the stockholder, but a 70% gain to the option holder. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that's why 
a lot of people will use stock options. And that's why, unfortunately, in the early days of the Robinhood trading mania, when a lot of people found it easy to be able to buy options, they could use that to really leverage up their returns. So if you think about it, if somebody had $4,000, $5,000 to spend, they could say, well, I don't have to buy an option, one option for 100 shares. I'm going to buy 10 options for 1,000 shares, you know, and just think how much money I can make then if I'm right about the price of the stock moving up. The problem is, again, we talked about options can expire worthless. So if six months from now, CIBC shares are still trading at $59, then you've lost your entire investment. So there's a difference in the cost of those options, depending on if they're close to being in the money or out of the money. That's right. And so when we talk about, let's say if the share price today is $59 and you buy an option at $59, that's what's called buying a call option at the money, which means the strike price is the same price as the current trading price. Mm -hmm. And so any gain is going to be reflected directly in the price of that option. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you buy, let's say, an option that gives you the right to buy CIBC shares at $65, that's going to cost you less because it's out of the money. It just means that the shares have to go up at least $6 from $59 to $65 before you will be able to make any money. Because if the shares close anywhere by the strike date under $65, you've lost all your money. And the only way you would exercise it would be as if the shares were trading above the strike price of $65. And then if you went further out to like $75 or $85, those would just be way out of the money. Those would be way out of the money and the premium would be minuscule because the odds, the likelihood of the shares getting to $80 or $90 in six months is pretty low. It's not zero, but it's pretty low. Okay, so let's just take this back to basics for a minute, Greg. And I know we're going to wrap up here right away. Do we fundamentally believe that people can pick stocks better than anybody else on their own? No, we do not. Okay, if we don't fundamentally believe that, would we fundamentally believe that on top of picking stocks and the direction that they're going to go, you can then further increase your opportunity by leveraging derivatives? Absolutely not. So we're not recommending this strategy. No, and I think the reason for bringing it up at all is that options contracts or and other derivatives contracts play a very important role in a lot of structured investment products that people may run into. Mm -hmm. And we're not saying there's anything wrong with buying and selling options. What we're saying is that options can be structured to create a particular type of investment outcome based on you know, different likelihood of things happening in the market that you may not be sure of. And so professionals who structure products using options can use those to be able to create payout profiles, let's call it, or return profiles that will vary depending on the market situations. Mm -hmm. Very difficult for individuals to execute themselves. And the probably I would say the most relevant use of options that we've talked about are for hedging and insurance. Yeah. And that would be to protect the portfolio against it going down by using put options, which is a form of insurance. You're paying money Mm -hmm. to insure your portfolio or to write when we talked about covered calls to protect the value of individual securities, which you can either do by writing covered calls or by, as I say, uh, 
buying put options. And like anything in insurance, in the end, you have to look at, well, what's the cost of this insurance and is it worth it? Yeah, yeah. You know, as you're just talking about that, I just was thinking about one place where it kind of makes sense to me is if, let's say you work at a company, publicly listed company. Sure. Part of your compensation is in shares of that company. Mm -hmm. You're paid by that company and you have a lot of wealth that you've accumulated in shares in that company. Yep. Perhaps in that case, it might make sense to protect your downside. For sure. Right? Although I would argue you'd be better off to just sell some of those shares and diversify them. There are always different strategies, you know, and option strategies, again, for the most part, not ideal for individual investors. Yeah. But certainly they are used by individual investors, as we've seen a lot over the last several years in particular. Yeah. But important to understand them, know they're out there, and uh, you get to make your own decisions, ideally with some advice from a professional. It sounds tricky. It is tricky. Like, it sounds really tricky. Do you know the song, Greg? I do not. Just listen to it. It's tricky to rock around. (laughs) (laughs) It is tricky. Anyways, maybe we'll end it there. Anybody wants to talk about options, call us anytime. All right. Till next time. Next time. This speech is my recital. I think it's very vital to rock around. That's right. On top. It's tricky. Here we go. It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right. On time. It's tricky. It's tricky. 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 It's tricky to rock around. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2022.